Hello, in this lecture we're going to talk about ethics and profession. At the end of this, we will be able to define profession, define ethics as it relates to accounting, explain the factors that increase the likelihood of fraud, and define how internal controls are used. We will have a common theme as we go through these lectures, and that's going to be the idea of trust as it relates to profession, as it relates to ethics when we talk about businesses. And that's because when we think about business transactions, Trust is something that can really help to facilitate the transactions. Transactions and trade are one of the things that really keeps the economy going. Specialization and trade. We need, we, if we can increase specialization, we usually do better. We can usually produce more things. And therefore, in order to specialize, we need to increase the trade. And we need to increase the people getting together and making deals in order to facilitate trade. One main barrier to trade is not having trust. So if there's a lack of trust between two individuals, between two organizations, between two parties trying to make a trade, then it's more likely that the trade is not going to happen. And so how can we increase the trust? A lot of times is going to be the question in order to increase trade, which is generally something that's good for the society as a whole. And that's going to be to increase the amount of information on both sides. So there's going to be transparency that if we can increase the transparency on both sides, then that usually will increase the trust on both sides. We can do that by giving more information, providing the information in a way that is relevant, and or having people that we can depend on who can interpret the information in ways that are relevant and thereby allowing parties to get together and make more trade. And that's usually going to be something that will be beneficial overall for society. So that's one of the functions within the profession, and that's one of the functions why trust is important within the in a profession in order to facilitate that trade and get things going. So what is a profession? A profession is a vocation that requires some specialized knowledge. So when we think about a profession, some of the oldest professions we probably think of is going to be a legal profession and the medical profession. So we probably have parents or we've heard parents say that you need to grow up to be a lawyer or a doctor, right? So those are some of the older, more respected professions. Those professions, of course, have a specialized amount of knowledge that takes a long time in order to uh, accumulate, in order to generate. So if we go to a doctor or a lawyer, we are basically very dependent on their decision. I may go home if someone, if a doctor tells me I need to, you know, take this medicine to cure this problem or whatnot, I could go home and I could research it, but there's no way that I'm going to be able to put in the amount of time of like seven years of training in order to really understand whether or not what I'm being told is correct. The same can be true with the medical profession. We need to basically rely on these individuals in order to, to um, take action, that action in this case being to purchase medicine <laughs> that could be needed in order to, to help. Now, we can think about times when there was less uh, of a profession within the medical profession, less structure, and we can think of problems that could have happened both to the medical profession and to the society when that is the case. So we can think of ideas when... People may have sold things that they knew did not have the benefits that they were selling it for. So if we think of an idea of someone having a transaction and selling something, saying that it's going to cure an, an ailment and it doesn't, then that, of course, diminishes the trust. And that's going to be a problem both to the people that they sell this to, but also to the profession as a whole. So that's going to be a problem to the whole uh, organization because usually when that happens, that's going to be a scam as opposed to a business because... A scam is usually going to be a short-term idea, short-term money, and then the individual has to leave at some point when it's realized that the effects aren't there, uh, as opposed to a business, which is a long-term endeavor, in which case there's true value to the society, 
because there's transparency and knowledge and therefore the business can be a long-term thing within the society. So a scam something, if the individual left, if another individual came in that actually did have the required knowledge to be kind of a doctor, someone that could help uh, with this information, uh, not only will they not be trusted, possibly because of this other individual, uh, they could be in danger from from this information because, again, most people may not have the knowledge to be able to say whether what they're saying is true or not true, and it would take time for it to uh, be proven to be true or not true. So those are some of the problems if uh, we don't have a profession or some kind of idea that uh, will facilitate trust. So how do we guard against those types of things? Well, we can put in some kind of profession. And what's the profession going to do? It's going to create some minimal standards, and the standards will will be to have some knowledge level, usually through some type of testing, and or to have some uh, reoccurring testing to uh, keep the knowledge up, as well as to have some code of conduct levels, both in terms of a defined code of conduct within a profession, as well as adherence to the code of conduct, meaning that if practices are, are held that are without outside the code of conduct, then uh, they would not be within the profession. Some kind of licensing process within the profession. This licensing process will be the attempt to say that this individual has this uh, set uh, knowledge at, the, at this minimum level and uh, they haven't uh, been recognized to violate any of the code of conduct that would uh, reject the licensure and that those are some kind of ways that we can put in these, these safeguards that will help us to facilitate trust within the profession. So notice that what happens here is that the profession wants to have these safeguards because it is helpful to the profession, and that's something we'll touch on more in a second. Now, these ideas of profession are, of course, related to accounting as well. We can think of the accounting profession has these same kind of principles. We have the same idea of a lot of information that people have to rely on in order to make decisions. So, of course, we're talking here of the financial statements, especially in publicly traded companies where we have the financial statements, where we have people investing in the financial statements. We have creditors, possibly banks and whatnot, relying on the financial statements. So that's where the trust will come into place and that trust that f will facilitate trades. That's one of the huge, huge benefits to society that we have in that we can uh, generate capital through that trust by uh, allowing the transparency of information and putting the information in such a way that it can be reliable. Now, the accounting profession built up uh, a lot more when, we, when things became much more complicated. For example, when there was an increase in trade, that made it possible that to, for people to have more businesses. And then we thought about the idea of having more businesses and different business structures. So when we have now corporations are going to be more complex. That's a legal issue. Of course, the, the idea of a corporation being a corporation, being a separate legal entity becomes a, a legal issue. But it also, of course, causes accounting problems. So accounting becomes a specialty within that. And now the regulations are such that we have different types of legal entities. Those are going to have different accounting consequences, whether they be financial accounting consequences or tax consequences. And you'll note now that within the legal industry, as well as within the uh, accounting industry, there's going to be subsets of professions. And that will continue to happen as long as we have more uh, growth and specialization in knowledge. There's going to be more complexity complexity is going to happen one because we're growing and that just makes things more complex and two there's there's going to be more regulation that goes along with that growth so for example within the accounting profession 
we could have sub-professions that are going to be involved, and that could be things like payroll or managerial accounting, and these are subsections that are going to grow as the complexity grows, as the different ideas grow, as we get more complex within uh, the profession here. So next, we want to get the definition of ethics. What is ethics? How do we define ethics? Now, if you think about ethics, you should think, wow, that's a big topic, because it really is a big topic. Because we've been thinking about ethics for a long time. Ethics, of course, goes back to Greek philosophers. you got Plato and Aristotle thinking about ethics. And there's still, of course, open topics all the way up to this day. And people that specialize just thinking in ethics. We, of course, will be thinking about ethics as it relates to the profession, more specifically as it relates to uh, accounting and try to think of some ideas within ethics and ethical principles, how they help society within that specific area. But if we were just to Google ethics and just get some definitions, let's take a look at some types of definitions and then narrow that down in terms of our more narrow definition. So we could get a system of moral principles. That's one of the broadest, shortest types of def definitions. The rules of conduct recognized in respect to a particular class of human actions or particular group, culture, etc., medical ethics, Christian ethics. So it's a bit more defined there. Uh, that branch of philosophy dealing with values related to human conduct with respect to the rightness and wrongness of certain actions and to the goodness and badness of the motives and ends of such actions. So that's another pretty full inclusive area. We will be thinking of the, of the ethics in terms of how it relates to the profession and specifically how it relates to accounting. And we are going to have code of conducts within the accounting profession and all this stuff in there. The question is, in just broad terms, what's the goal of ethics within the uh, profession? And oftentimes it could be thought of to have the idea that we want to behave in such a way that it's not harming or is beneficial or at the least not harming either the individual, uh, individual society or the profession. So we want to be acting in a way that's not harmful to society or the profession. And I would argue that those two things are actually normally most of the time the same. We, if we're acting in a way that is harmful to uh, the society as a whole, it's probably harmful to the profession. If we're acting in a way that's harmful to the profession, probably harmful to the society. For example, common type of ethical problems within the profession would be uh, charging, overly charging, or charging uh, excessive rates, or making claims that uh, are not doable within the profession, overclaiming what can be the outcome of the profession. These are typical types of things that... Um, will uh, be violations of ethical codes within a profession. And if we think about that, if we think about someone that was overcharging or making claims that are outside uh, what they should be making, then that, of course, hurts the society, but it also hurts the profession because that's, again, kind of a scam. What's going to happen is that's going to be a short-term thing and it's going to hurt the profession as a whole. And if we think about it as accountants, What's really happening there is this, this individual is profiting off of basically selling or diminishing the asset, that asset being kind of like goodwill, the name, the brand of the profession. So if someone is, is doing things that are basically unethical outside the ethical conduct code of the profession, then they're basically making profits in the short run by selling the asset of goodwill, the brand, in the long run. And that's, in essence, many of the codes that we have are built around that. The profession in and of itself has the uh, goal of increasing their brand. <laughs> and, and in order to increase the brand, we want uh, the people to be acting in such a way that's beneficial both to society as well as the profession. So 
many of the codes and the rules that we get down to when we think about profession as it relates to accounting, as it relates to many professions, is going to be the idea that we want the conduct to be in such a way that it's increasing the brand, increasing basically the, um, the value to society. So in order to do that, we're going to have the, the rules and the codes. And obviously, as accountants, we follow general rules. So when we do audits and whatnot, we follow generally accepted accounting principles, a set of rules, a set of standards that we're going to adhere to in terms of uh, making sure the financial statements are in accordance. We also have uh, the hierarchy in terms of regulation. Like we got the Security Exchange Commission. We got the Financial Accounting Standards Boards. Once again, helping to set the rules as well as helping to enforce the rules. So a profession is going to need some type of enforcement mechanism in order to safeguard against folks. One, we got to you know, have a process for someone to become a professional. And of course, that process would include things like testing, include things like um, maintaining a certain uh, amount of knowledge, having continuing education hours. And so those things will be in place as well as uh, having some consequences if there's problems that are outside the code of conduct that has been set up and uh, that, that regulation will help for increasing the trust within the profession so that people can depend on the opinion of the professionals <laughs> in order to have transparency and increase trade. So a related topic to this is, of course, fraud. So if we looked at fraud, we can say that the definition of fraud is generally going to be a deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. So a key component of fraud is the idea that there's a deception, basically a lie. We intended to deceive. That's going to be a factor in fraud. And that seems kind of obvious, but it's actually... Uh, kind of interesting factor because what we're doing is we're measuring and this happens in many areas of law we're measuring not based on the effect not based on what happened we're measuring on what ba people thought basically their intentions which is kind of an interesting concept we see it in other areas of law too for example if we had a result of someone if someone died as a result of being hit by a car in two different circumstances and we had the same result someone died as being hit by a car if the one circumstance the person intended to hit the person, that would be far worse than in another circumstance where they did not intend to hit the person. Now, the result's the same. And so, you know, there, there's no difference in the result. We could even have situations where the result is worse for the unintended consequences than the intended consequences and still feel that uh, it's it should be more harshly punished if someone had malice intention. Now, of course, the problem of that is is determining if someone had malice intention and whatnot. But we, we think of that as a really important thing in many, many areas of law. And of course, in fraud, it's the same kind of idea. If someone, if something bad happened, if someone lost money, someone was stolen from and whatnot, the results is the same, whether it's fraud or whether they, it was, it was uh, something that they did by accident or they just uh, didn't look into it enough. The, the result is going to be the same. But if we can say, hey, this person intended to deceive, then it's usually going to be a harsh penalty, that penalty being under fraud. Now, when we think about fraud within an organization, there's going to be factors that increase the likelihood of fraud. Now, the highest person to likelihood to commit fraud are going to be the employees generally within an organization. And it is, it is much more concerning if the management is going to commit fraud as well how do we prevent fraud to happen within an organization? Or how can we lower the likelihood of fraud within an organization? Usually the answer, when we, if you were to ask that to most people, the answer is, well, hire good people. Don't hire people that are going to commit fraud. 
And that there's a there's a point to that. That's a good point. But we also know that there's there are factors that increase the likelihood of fraud. There's factors within the environment. If we are in a certain environment, especially for longer periods of time, that increase the the likelihood of fraud, then it's more likely that fraud will happen. That doesn't mean that someone who commits fraud in such an environment is off the hook for committing fraud. That's not the case, but it does mean that uh, we have the ability, possibly as someone setting up the environment, and maybe the obligation to basically try to reduce these kind of factors if possible. For example, it's been, it's been thought that there's three factors that could contribute to fraud. One is opportunity. So if, if it's really uh, opportunity is, is very apparent to commit fraud and not be caught by the fraud, that could be committed, then it increases the likelihood. So, for example, if we decided that we're going to have our petty cash fund in a shoebox in the middle of the lunchroom with thousands of people in it, uh, it's very likely that someone could take that shoebox and have no accountability. And, uh, again, if they took the shoebox, that would be stealing, that would be wrong. But uh, the idea of putting the shoebox with cash in the middle of a lunchroom with thousands of people in it, probably not the best idea, probably increasing the likelihood that a bad outcome would have pressure things like things like pressure could increase the likelihood of fraud so it's good to know you know what people around us what type of pressure they have so if we were in a um, a business and someone had of course financial pressure outside of the business that would increase the likelihood of fraud but we can also have internal pressure we can have things like deadlines and whatnot or bonuses or some kind of pressure within the organization we need those things in some cases to increase performance but we also want to be careful that we're not increasing the likelihood of fraud to happen in order to meet some of these areas as well. And then we have the idea of rationalization. And the idea of rationalization is pretty interesting because normally we think of a process, we think of when we think of a decision making, we think that, uh, you know, we rationalize the decision and then we make the decision based on our rational minds, what our rational mind came to. And that may be a lot of ways that we make a lot of decisions, but some of our decisions we may make with less judgment we may make a lot more quicker than to have some kind of long-term <laughs> rational thought process and in those cases if we make a short-term decision our mind actually works a lot of times to rationalize the decision that we have already made so a lot of research is actually saying that our mind spends a lot time a lot more or time or a lot substantial amount of time rationalizing decisions that we have already made rather than rationalizing the decisions that we will make in the future and our mind has the, we want to be consistent. So if we made a choice, we're going to try to, our mind will just try to rationalize that choice. For that reason, fraud is something that could escalate or not go down. It's something that may increase. So when we have an instant of fraud, it's likely that fraud could happen again. So for example, if someone stole money out of the petty cash in the lunchroom, uh, they could rationalize that in many different ways in their mind. They could say, well, if the company is so dumb to put the petty cash in the lunchroom, they deserve for it to be stolen. Therefore, it's the company's fault and not mine. And you could see how that rationalization could justify it happening again next week and stuff like that. We could often rationalize within an organization. We can say, well, the organization is a big, uh, you know, faceless organization, and they have a lot of money, and I don't have any money, and therefore this is like stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, and I just happen to be the poor person who is benefiting and stealing from the rich. And you can see how that kind of rationalization would happen in, in that area as well. And you can see how that can escalate. So we can see questions, well, how can we reduce these things? If we think that these types of things within the environment could increase the likelihood of fraud, how could we reduce these things? And many times that's going to be in terms of internal controls. 
we could set in some kind of internal controls. Now, we also could hire people and make sure that we're hiring people that we believe will uh, not commit fraud, that are ethical people that won't commit fraud, possibly people that may not be in a position uh, that they would be likely to, to commit fraud. Uh, when we think about internal controls, we're going to safeguard assets, of course. We'll talk a lot more about internal controls in the future, but just some basic internal controls. We, we wouldn't want to put the uh, cash in the middle of the lunchroom. We'd want to put that somewhere in, in a safe, possibly. If, when we're talking about a lot of cash, of course, we want to put that in the bank. And when we think about doing things like a bank reconciliation, that's going to help us to see if anybody took the money out because it'll tie out what we think should happen to the bank. So that's going to help us with this idea of uh, rationalization, which oftentimes if fraud happens, we want to go back and catch it early so that we can set a, a culture of you know catching it and uh, cutting it in the bud, as they say, early. <laughs> and, and then uh, instead of having it escalate, if we don't do that, if we're not able to catch the fraud early, then it's liable to ex escalate and it's liable to be something that becomes uh, more culturally spread within the organization and that be becomes a much more difficult thing to handle at a later time. One of the other things that's going to be very crucial in terms of in internal controls is going to be the idea of separation of duties. So we'll talk a lot more about this later, but we generally want the person handling things like assets like cash to be different than the person that's recording those information and therefore, when those people, uh, if they wanted to commit fraud, they would have to collude in order to not be caught, which is going to reduce the likelihood of fraud a lot. Uh, we don't want to have things like one individual running everything, usually. And in a small business, that's a problem sometimes, because if we have a small business and, say, we just have one, you know, a bookkeeper helping us out, the bookkeeper's going to be doing a lot of things. It's not like we can separate the duties a lot. But we can separate some things, and we should still have some minimum internal controls for even if we're a sole proprietor, should, we should be recognizing, reconciling the bank account, possibly ourselves, and checking uh, that. And we should definitely be uh, signing our own checks. We shouldn't be giving a rubber stamp to sign the checks to the bookkeeper, most likely, or having a, some kind of electronic signature. Those, those are a couple things that we can easily set into place uh, in order to lower the likelihood of fraud. Okay, so we're now able to define profession. We're able to define ethics as it relates to accounting, explain the factors that increase the likelihood of fraud, and explain how internal controls are used.